Today on the Starving Art Podcast, Edvard Munch, famed expressionist painter and his battle with Spanish flu. 100 years after the end of the disease, Munch has given us one of the only entries on the artistic record of the battle with and recovery from the deadly epidemic that killed 50 million worldwide. Please note that this episode uses visual art for its primary sources, and it would be best to wait to listen until you're in a place where you can look up these pieces as we go. Probably best to pause me while you look it up. Don't worry, I'll wait. Edvard Munch was no stranger to death. Disease and death permeated his life. He always had a morbid fascination with the subject. His mother died of tuberculosis when he was five. His sister, Sophie, died of the same illness when he was 13. As Monk himself put it, illness, insanity, and death kept watch over my cradle and accompanied me all my life. Born in the countryside north of Oslo, Norway, he moved often, following his father's work as a medical officer in the military. Often poor, he was influenced by his father's devout Christianity, whose interpretations of his family's ill health as divine punishments instilled an anxiety around religion and death. Monk's own health was a matter of concern as well. He came down with tuberculosis when he was 13. Around then, he discovered the art of the Norwegian Art Association and was captured by the lush Nordic landscapes they painted. He quickly became obsessed with art making and made it his life. Monk grew up inundated in the conservative ideals and values of his native Oslo, but sought to escape what he saw as a rigid and stuffy system. Nevertheless, he found his companions in the Christiania Bohème, a Norwegian political and cultural movement filled with young bohemians spreading sexually liberal and anti-religious intellectualism. Among them, he found his mentor, Christian Krogh, a pioneer of realism in a time and place defined by the landscapes and charmed cityscapes of romantic naturalism. Fed up with Oslo and Norwegian culture, Monk set out on a self-imposed exile to Europe. Armed with his artistic talent, he spent three intense years of practice and reflection before he found public acclaim in Berlin, beginning to create and exhibit a collection of works he would come to call The Frieze of Life. Among them are incredibly well-known works like The Scream and The Vampire, originally titled Love and Pain. His work was a radical rejection of the values of his contemporary art world. Monk used personal symbols and emotive color choices to build works that spoke to his feelings and ideas about the world. Straying from the representational style of his elders, mentored by a realist and surrounded by romanticism, his work elegantly blends the representational nature of realism with an emotive call to romanticism. He was a pioneer of symbolism, using personal narrative and moments of subjective importance in his works to portray his take on the different aspects of life. His work dealt plainly with sex and other divisive issues of the time, a shock to his contemporary art world. The distortion of representation for emotional effect brought him under fire from the art institutions of his era, and his exhibits were prone to being shut down for their controversial content. Art was frequently a means of processing for Monk. As his skills progressed, he mined his youth for material, reflecting the disease and malaise that surrounded his early life. In his work Spring, 
He juxtaposes the coming of warmth and renewal with the continued decline of his sister's health. In the painting, Sophie and her caretaker sit, looking towards each other as the light hits them both through the window on the opposite side. The left side is dark, their clothing a greenish-black. The shadows all slant towards them. Sophie's face is wan, features blending together, almost disappearing. The right side of the painting brightens, leading to a sunny window, the curtains billowing in the breeze. Fresh and bright flowers sit on the sill, their growth sharply contrasting the decay of his sister. The painting is an emotional memorial for his late sister and indicative of his stylistic choices. Color choice and the distortion of strict representation are used to convey the emotional impact of the scene, and this deeply personal memory is laid bare for all to see, turned into a universally understandable expression of the ravages of his sister's illness. His work, By the Deathbed, also displays the same signature touches that made Monk famous, but focus on his own brush with illness. Although he was able to escape with his life, he was also struck with a bout of tuberculosis that pushed him to the brink of death. In the painting, the walls are a deep, dark red, symbolic of the fever eating away at him. A line of people stand, worriedly looking down on him or unable to look at his decaying condition. Their forms are highly simplified, faces alternating between a deep red of anxiety and a drained white resignation to his death. Behind them, the shadows gather, a deep black that portends the inky blackness of death. Monk is barely visible, just an impression on the sheets. This early work of Monk's was highly controversial upon its debut, with critics questioning his sanity in response to his bold use of color and the distortion of the figures he presented. Still, the art world embraced him, and he found a foil of his bohemian social circle in the free-spirited high societies of Europe. He enjoyed all the fruits of his labor, getting to explore deeply personal works and developing a new style of art that set the groundwork for the modernist revolution. Lauded by European society, he was widely sought after as a portrait artist and enjoyed great reputation. Unfortunately, the trappings of his success ate away at him, and his ever-present alcoholism intensified. Hearing voices and suffering from partial paralysis, Monk checked himself into a private sanatorium. Although he recovered somewhat, the cosmopolitan lifestyle he used to enjoy was over. He moved back to Norway, living in isolation near Oslo. Although his mental state mostly recovered, Monk was never able to replicate the fame and public success he once enjoyed. He had resigned himself to a mostly solitary existence, painting all the while. He spent the rest of his life there, continuing to explore the main themes of his works and creating new versions of classic works. Monk is well known for his reiteration of works and themes. The Scream, for example, has four different versions created over the course of three years. He frequently used himself as a subject, infusing self-portraits with his emotion and fantasy. In his isolation, he discovered a renewed appreciation for the Norwegian landscape, despite the romantics of his childhood turning him off to the subject. In his isolation, he discovered a renewed appreciation for the Norwegian landscape, and contented himself painting themes reminiscent of the romantics he rebelled against. 
It was in his countryside home that Monk faced another test of will against disease. By 1918, the Spanish flu epidemic, a devastating disease that killed more than 50 million people worldwide, had come to Norway. Monk was stricken with the disease, which took weeks to recover from and almost killed him. Incredibly, he was able to use this disease as inspiration for his art. He painted Self-Portrait with the Spanish Flu, one of the few artistic interpretations we have of this deadly disease, and indeed one of the only renderings of what it was like to go through the flu that devastated a newly interconnected world. The pandemic was overshadowed by the First World War, and information about its spread was heavily censored by world powers intent on portraying their nations as fighting fit. Monk's work can offer us a glimpse of the ravages of this deadly disease. In the painting, the walls and background are red and orange, feverish and shifting with hallucinations. The bed is unkempt, blankets thrown around during a restless night. Colored in green hues, the bed seems to suggest a relief from the sickness that was ravaging him. Monk is centered, seated in robes. His face is hollowed, almost blending in with the wall behind him. The ghostly whites used in his eye socket and mouth reveal how close he was to death, and are reminiscent of the way he painted his sister's face as she succumbed to tuberculosis. The whole painting is warped, suggesting the delirium that set in with his fever. It's a stark representation of the sickness that almost killed him, while echoing the paintings of other episodes of illness that defined his life. Thankfully, Monk was able to recover from his brush with Spanish flu, although the illness left him weak for weeks afterwards. During his recovery, he painted self-portrait after Spanish flu, documenting the toll his illness took. It's useful to take a look at both of these paintings side by side. In After Spanish Flu, we see Monk back in his normal dress, bearing the signs of a long battle. His hair is unkempt, his face heavily lined, but he is nevertheless standing. We see the chair he was seated in in With Spanish Flu, now empty and calmer in color, the reddish hues now a soft brown. The reds of his fever have abated, reduced to just an accent in his carpet. The green that signified the small comfort of his bed now permeates the canvas, infusing the walls and accenting the figure of Edward himself. Whereas with Spanish flu uses thick, swirling brush strokes to represent the haze of illness, after Spanish flu is painted in a somewhat lackluster manner. Although the gaps in the painting allow for a brighter complexion for the whole piece, there is something incomplete. The recovery is clearly not finished and there has certainly been a toll taken by his battle with the illness. This pair of paintings are by no means a jewel in the absurdly adorned crown of Monk's career as an artist. Of the over 20,000 works of art that were left to the city of Oslo after Monk's death in 1944, they barely get any press. Many reduce the last 20 years of Monk's career, the era after his recovery from the sanatorium, to just a few landscapes and a yearning for the monk of the past. It's easy to make the argument that his best years as an artist were behind him by the time he painted with and after Spanish flu, but through it all his signature style shines through the canvas. 
I believe these works are an important complement to the earlier works like Spring and By the Deathbed that helped him rise to fame. Paired together, they show clearly Monk's ability to explore a theme across time and across different works, and illuminate how he was able to use form and color choice to get his emotions and worldview across. Monk's life was defined by death and disease. Tuberculosis ransacked his family tree and left him on the brink of death, and Spanish flu clearly gave him a hell of a fight. Through the death and despair that was caused by his illness, he turned to art as a way to work through that loss and trauma. Incredibly, Monk confronted the specter of death head-on, using its legacy in his life to create works of art that transformed his life and our understanding of what art could be. Monk's legacy as one of the artists who helped spark the modernist revolution is cemented in history, and he left us an incredible collection of works that illuminate the haunted, brilliant mind that created them. Radically breaking away from the style of his forefathers, Monk embraced his idiosyncratic view of the world and expressed it fearlessly, even in the face of rejection and derision. How could he do anything else? knowing that death could take him at any moment. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. I have great news. We are now on Apple Podcasts, so please go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Starving Art Podcast, and uh, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and let the world know that I am out here doing my thing. If you want to keep up with the show, uh, hear about any new episode releases, and get some behind-the-scenes info about the process of creating the show, and hear more about the figures that I talk about, you can follow me on Instagram at starvingartpod. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you gather some strength and encouragement from the work that I'm doing. Talk to you soon.